The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hello and welcome to my podcast. I'm Dr. Stephen Farmer, psychotherapist, shamanic practitioner, author, and teacher, and I'll be exploring with you ways to connect with spirit animals, ancestors, spirits of nature, how to heal from trauma, and many other topics. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome again. This is Dr. Stephen Farmer with Healing for Your Soul. And as I have mentioned in the opening, I've got a lot of provocative guests or guests that will um, certainly stimulate and provoke thoughts and ideas and feelings for you. And I do have uh, someone that uh, I've had conversations with already. And I think you'll find that she's got a very unique perspective and a, a fascinating background. Uh, her name is Valerie Love. She also goes by Kaisi. And I know I said that right, Valerie. So <laughs> um, I'm going to read you just a little bit of her bio here. Reverend Valerie Love, aka uh, also known as Kaisi, is the author of 24 books on practical spirituality, magic, the old coat, the occult, I can't say it, occult, oh my God, and Christian witchcraft as an ordained minister of spiritual consciousness, practicing Christian witch and global retreat leader. Her sole mission is to inspire to freedom. And I, we're going to hear more about this, but I want to mention a couple of things here. After selling her financial planning practice at American Express Financial Advisors in 2004, Reverend Val pursued writing full-time, answering the call of her soul to teach and inspire. And then uh, April 2005, she conducted her first public workshop, intentionally saying yes to standing in the truth of soul, knowing to be an agent of transformation. And also has published a number of books. I think we're up to about uh, 20 books so far, Valerie. Anyway, welcome to uh, the podcast. Oh, thank you, Dr. Stephen, and thank you for the invitation. I was so happy when you reached out on the website and suggested this conversation. I'm so happy. Yeah, I, you know, I heard of you actually from uh, someone we both know, Ariel, as Sacred Stories, 
and uh, we each have a book out now. Um, on, in in the um, uh, what would I call it the the where she has a number of books on various topics has hired very hired has uh, invited various people like yourself and myself to not only write about a particular topic but also invite others to contribute stories. For instance, mm-hmm. mine was animals or is animals. Yours is titled which, mm-hmm. which I thought was that's what caught my attention right away because I love that. What's the title about of that particular book? And I know you have many others, but what about that one? That one is titled Witches, and it is divine alignments with the energies, elements, and cycles of nature. So we as witches uh, use the elements. Of course, it's an energetic practice, and we align with nature. So it's perfect to be, uh, the, the subtitle is perfect divine alignments with the elements, energies, and cycles of nature. Uh, Which is very, very much needed right now. I think um, we have, uh, let me make a slight technical adjustment. There we go. Um, What's very much needed right now, I think that many, many people are being called to uh, remember their relationship with the natural world. And so there's, there's different ways that can be done, and certainly... Uh, what you described is definitely a, a very uh, clear intention as to what your work is about. Now, you came from financial planning, and you jumped off, uh, as Julia Cameron said, leap in the net shall appear, and it looks like you t- took the leap. I'd love to hear a little more about that and what, what guidance you had to do so. Well, I was a financial planner at American Express for seven years, and for the last two years that I was there, I was receiving the call to write. Now, I've been a writer all my life. I love writing. I love the spoken word. And I was um, an article. One of my some of my writing appeared in the New York Times when I was in high school because I'm from New York originally. Um, they had this segment called "Great Writing by Young People." So I've, all, I've always been a writer. I love writing. I write every day of my life, and I love reading. And I had written. Oh my goodness, Doctor Stephen, I had written so many. Uh, letters to agents to publish my work, all kinds of books, not necessarily about spirituality, might have been more personal development. I knew that there were these books in me. And I just got rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter. And I would go to writing groups and I would um, be with other writers. And, you know, I was I was figuring, well, I guess this is just part of being a tortured soul as a writer. You know, I guess it's part for the course because <laughs> it seems like writers are tortured. Right. And um, after a so, while, mm-hmm, I Suffering artist. Right, right. This whole brooding, tortured soul kind of. (laughs) I was experiencing it. So uh, I didn't know it didn't have to be that way. And so um, after a while, I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. Because with a safety net, it is very difficult to give yourself to the thing that you're here to do. I had a safety net. I had my financial planning practice. It was going great. So when I got the call to, you know, it's time to move along, you know, to write and to speak. 
I was kind of like, you sure, God? Because it's kind of good here. You know, like I have prestige. Like, you know, I'm important. People think I know things. You know? <laughs> All those ego, you know, thoughts and, and the money and this. Things that mean nothing. That mean nothing. It was nothingness. And uh, so it took two years for me to answer that call and Finally, I said, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to sell my financial planning practice. And when I said, I'm ready, click, click, click. Everything clicked into place. I knew who I was going to sell my financial planning practice to. We didn't haggle over price. We got a good valuation. She's paid me a down payment of several thousand dollars and monthly payments until it was all paid off. I was sad. I had just married a man who had won $17 million in the lottery. So I did not... (laughs) Pretty crazy, right? Well, not crazy, crazy good. I had just married in 2004, same year, I had married a man that won $17 million in the lottery. We had known each other for many years, had dated for many years, and we had a daughter. We had a child together, uh, in addition to my two children from my first marriage. So uh, I did not know when I left my financial planning practice, I went from working about 60, 70, 80 hours a week because financial planners work Monday through Saturday. And when the stock market, it, when they from ringing the bell in the morning to after the bell at night, you know, I've been to the New York Stock Exchange. I've been through all the crazy, a lot of crazy ups and downs in the stock market. I was a financial, I was uh, licensed for um, life and health insurance in several states. And so it was, it was a full, I don't know how I was going to write, I don't know, maybe on a couple hours on a Sunday afternoon or something, because it was the kind of work experience that took up a lot of inner space. You know, you know how yeah. some things you can do mindlessly. Mine was not that. I managed millions of dollars for my clients. I had over 200 clients. There was no way I could mindlessly look at their portfolios. Like I had to be all in, like from the moment I stepped into my office in the morning to the time we locked up the door at night. It's game on. So when I finally decided I'm going to do this, I'm going to write. So the financial planning practice, that's 2004, sat down and actually wrote. And I sat down. I had just moved into the new home with my um, new husband, beautiful home. There was nothing that I had to take care of financially. I didn't have to take care of a mortgage. I didn't even know how much the mortgage was. It was a brand new house. It was a beautiful house. I didn't have to take care of anything that I was accustomed to taking care of in my own home when I had my um, home after my divorce from my first husband and uh, being a single mom for a while with just me and my two kids. And then we had the third child. So it was a big change in my life. Spirit put me in a position where there was nothing I could do other than write. Hmm. It, there was nothing oh. to look at. There was nothing to distract me. There, it was like, here's the circumstances. Now you just. No, no more excuses. Huh? No more reasons. Yeah. That's really cool. All of those away. Yeah. And so I sat down and I started writing. What was your first uh, book that came out of that um, epical period. (laughs) That is an excellent question because I was writing several things, you know, as creative people do, we're just kind of all over the place, you know, and even though I have this very strong analytical side to my mind, 
I didn't always apply it to writing because I always viewed writing as a creative endeavor. So, uh, you know, oh, by inspiration, oh, I'm working on this and I'm working on that. And I had a very close friend who was a writer also. And he and I talked a lot about writing because I was just always in contact with people who write. And he said, Val, what have you finished? He said this somewhere around September, October of 2004, after I had been writing and just working on all these different projects that I had in my computer. He said, what have you finished? I said, mm, what do you mean? I'm writing a book. Like, it's going to take me forever. He said, <laughs> I don't intend to finish anything anytime soon. You know, you know, that's not how this thing works, you know, because when you write the way the publishing industry used to work, you know, it has a radical change now. So to, to clarify, because people may be thinking you can write a book in a weekend right now and put it on Amazon. Like, what are you talking about, crazy lady? Right? Back then, you know, self-publishing was not a thing. 2004, 2005, 2003, self-publishing was not a thing. If you did self-publish, you would have to pay thousands of dollars to like a vanity press and they would design your books and then you would have to pay, buy like 2000 books and they would be in your garage. It was a very different system then. So it wasn't like press a button like now and publish a book. So what I was accustomed to was the old way that the publishing industry worked. You wrote a query letter before you wrote the book. If the, with an idea, hey, this is my idea for a book. I would love for you to publish it. This is why I am the one to write this book. And this is why you need to pay me money to write this book in the form of an advance right now. It was this very succinct jab kind of writing that just gets the attention of an agent so that they can represent you and sell this idea to a publishing house. If the agent was interested, then they would come back and say, OK, give us a book proposal, which is about, I don't know, 50, 60 page document. And it's more goes into more detail. But this the book isn't written yet. So none of us were accustomed to finishing a book. You only finished a book if a publisher said they wanted it, if you actually, somebody actually bought it. Right. <laughs> right. So right. when he said, what have you finished? That was just nothing. What are you talking about? And he had, was published several books and he was also published in several magazines. He wrote articles in magazines. So he said, Val, if you don't have anything finished, if you were to meet an agent today, this weekend at a party, and they said to you, what are you working on? He said, you don't even have a manuscript that you could hand them and say, hey, this is it. And he said, pick something and finish. And I mm. said, it was, it was a game changer. It was a game changer for me. Yeah. And uh, so the first book that I finished was on intuition. It's called God Speaks to Me. To... Mm really help the reader understand that there is something inside of you speaking to you at all times and it is guiding in your destiny. And it's filled with a lot of stories and a lot of um, theorem as well. And I put that book together and uh, 
he put me in touch with an agent. And long story short, I did get signed by that agent. They gave me a two book publishing deal, five figure advance. Cool. You called me on my birthday, you know, like a year later. This, this, I'm speeding up the process now. It took quite a bit of time for all this to occur. Yeah. And I finally signed the contract. She called me on my birthday. I think it was 2006, somewhere around that. 2000, 2005. Yeah, about 2005. In 2006, the first book was actually published with a publisher. And they also wanted a second book from me. So I have two books with that publisher. One, called, And they still sell to this day. Uh, one called God Speaks to Me. And the other is called God is in love with you about the maximal love of the universe for each of its wow. creatures. Yeah. Wow. That's a great story too. You know, the, uh, and that is, I, I talked to a fair number of people about that. And uh, once in a while, somebody will say, I want to write a book. And I went, well, are you sure? <laughs> you know, do you have any idea what it takes really to write a book? I'm reminded, you know, of what you said about, you know, kind of being all over the place is, is the way I heard it. I'm not sure if that's what you meant, but yes. not having a focused product, so to speak, that you were working on. I'm reminded of a quote that I heard about uh, Somerset Maugham, who's a, a fiction writer. I know very little about his work or anything like that, just other than his name. He's fairly well known. But uh, somebody interviewed him and they asked him this question I thought was really cool. They said, you know, uh, Mr. Maugham, you know, do you sit and wait for inspiration to hit or how do you go about doing that? And he says, Oh yes, I do. Every morning at nine o'clock when I sit at my desk, I wait for inspiration to hit. In other words, that combination of the creative and the artist and then going to the, you could say left brain, you know, being able to focus it in that way. And you did it, you know, God bless that, that person who asked you, what do you got finished? Cause that obviously kicked you into that, another cycle of, oh, completing not just one, but two books and be, uh, finding a publisher. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. And since then, you've written uh, several other books from what I've seen on your website. Yes, because I got hooked on it. I loved the book creation process so much. And I'm a big reader. So I knew how much books had fed my soul very deeply. There's something very transformative about a book and about a person who actually sat down and took their wisdom and ordered it chapter by chapter in a way that we can digest it. It's almost like this magnificent Michelin chef who can take these raw materials of onions and turnips and turn it into this course by course delectable presentation of beauty and aroma and color and all of it. So this whole book creation thing, it's a love of mine. It is an absolute love of mine. And so when it was time for the second book to be published, the author that my agent asked, so what are the ideas that you have for the second book? Because the original contract said two books, they bought they had the idea for the first one, but we didn't have the idea for the second one. They just loved the first one so much and the book proposal and all of that. Because when I was during the process of having the agent, she said, well, yeah, I love this letter that you sent me. Do you have a book proposal? I said, no. She said, do you know how to write one? I said, I can figure it out. And she said, well, have it to me. And this is perfect timing. Look at the synchronicity of the universe. She said, this is perfect timing because I'm going to a book 
convention in a couple of weeks. So if you can get it to me before then, and I'll be with a bunch of publishers, I can shop your book to all these different publishers. And she did, and she got the deal. So when it was time for the second book, I was in my uh, personal development program at InterVisions, where I was ordained as a minister of spiritual consciousness. It's very similar to a school like um, One Spirit in New York, a school that, um, that ordains and prepares ministers for service in the world, interfaith, or ministers who are not religion ministers, religionless ministers, metaphysical kind of ministers. And so while I was there, I had a very intriguing assignment that I loved, and it was to write prayers. And we were being, we were learning all these different kinds of prayer protocols like science of mind, using scientific prayer, Ernest Holmes. So we have unity prayers. So we had this very deep dive into prayers. I always found prayers very intriguing, powerful. And so I was writing all these prayers, writing all these prayers. And they were telling me in school, wow, these prayers are so beautiful. This writing is so amazing. I said, great. I ran back to my agent and said, I've got it. It'll be a book of prayers. And she took it to the publisher and they were like, no way. Nobody's, nobody wants a book of prayers. No. You know, and I was just so deflated. Mm-hmm. So I sat in my meditation space, my sacred space, and I said, oh, my God. I was whining and moaning, wah, wah, wah. Oh, the publisher doesn't want the agent. And, and the agent was like, no, we're not doing a book of prayers. And they're all against me, the agent and the publisher, and blah, blah, blah. I was in my little meltdown complaining, <laughs> <laughs> being mad with the universe because it doesn't look how I want it to look. You know, and after right. I finished my little hissy fit about they don't want this book of prayers, these prayers are so amazing, and don't they know these prayers will go to people all over the world? And I was just complaining, complaining. Then I sat still and I heard, what does that have to do with you? That was what the universe asked me. All my complaining about them and the question the universe asked me was, what does that have to do with you? And it was very loving. It wasn't judgmental. And in that moment, I realized it has nothing to do with me. And it was like the universe was like smiling, like you got it. And I went and I published that book myself. And it's called Prayer. That was my first self-published book. It, I created the, the cover myself. It's a bad cover. You know, if you look at it, this was years, years later, I can say this. That's like true. all the covers now, you know, we have these professional yeah. designers. And went, <laughs> but then, well, it was your first book too. Yeah. yeah it was my it first, was your first book. Self-published. Yeah. It certainly didn't look like the two books that came out of the publisher, you know, with the perfect graphic design. And the barcode yeah. and all that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't get the formatting right. I couldn't get, I just was determined to get these books published. And I published it on CreateSpace, which was Amazon KDP before KDP was invented. I found CreateSpace. Spirit bought it to me. And I published it. And I was so happy. I was selling the book. I was selling it to people. It was only like 10 bucks or something like that. That book was a game changer because it showed me that something that we thought was in the hands of agents and publishers and book companies really is in our own hands. Your creativity is in your own hands. Now, what you do with it is up to you. 
And that's when I went on a book publishing rampage. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. You know, thank you, uh, Kaisi. I want to call you Kaisi. Yes, go right <laughs> ahead. I love, what the, you do? <laughs> I love the I love the feeling of it as I say it. But it made me think of a story about Wayne Dyer when he first, you know, the, you know, everybody knows who Wayne Dyer is. That his first book, I think, it was called Your Erroneous Zones. And what he did is self published it, and he would go around to bookstores. He would call ahead of time and say, "Hey, do you have this book by Wayne Dyer called Erroneous Zones?" This is many, you know, a few decades ago. And they go, no, but uh, we can get it. And so they would order the book and then he'd go there and he'd show up and then he'd do a signing and all that. I thought that was a, speaking of creative, I thought that was a real creative, uh, creative piece that he did. Um, you, I, I, if I may switch slightly, you, you, in your bio, you talk about, you use the term Christian witch and, uh, the juxtaposition of those two words is very interesting. So I'd like to hear a little more about that, what that means. Well, it's really fascinating to me that a lot of people who came up in the fundamentalist Christian experience, or even the Christian experience, like I did, I had a very fundamentalist Christian upbringing. And we kind of sucked all the magic out of the Bible and the things that were happening in the Bible. Yeah, when I was a kid, I always thought it was kind of magical. You know, the things that were happening, you had talking animals, you had people talking to angels, you had people casting out demons. It, to me, it seemed like a very magical kind of book, you know. But people told me, no, 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 it's not magic, it's not magic, magic's bad. No, 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 it's not magic. So that got me really curious because I was having so many experiences. I was seeing spirits when I was little, and it, it didn't seem strange to me. It, it seemed normal. It's just how it happens that you just talk to spirits hmm. and you see spirits and so forth and so on. And I have a really wide open third eye when I was little. And I remember staring at my mom's friends and most of the time. The number one thing that they would say to her is tell that child to stop staring at me. Now, I didn't know I was staring. I would just look and see sort of their whole life like I could see hmm. things. And so I just people would ask, are you psychic? Are you this? I would just say, I can see. And I could just see. And so I knew that there was, I had a suspicion or a hunch that there was a connection between these spiritual experiences I was having and the Bible. Now, they say they know that they have nothing to do with each other. 
because what you're experiencing, you know, if you see anything, it's the devil, you know, it's, it's bad, it's whatever, whatever. You know, that's what I got in fundamentalist Christianity. Yet my experience was different from what people were telling me. And I went with my experience, even though it took me a very long time to come out of Christianity, fundamentalist Christianity, I always kept the connection with the Christ presence. I don't follow dogma or, or, you know, doctrine and everyone's free to follow whatever they desire, whatever feeds your soul, you know? Yeah. Uh, for me, it didn't work. It was in the way I was given it. As I continued to explore Christianity and the Bible, it became more and more magical. It took me to ancient Egypt. It took me to ancient hmm. Samaria. It took me to all of these incredible discoveries. And it also, in my research, I found, aha, many people who practice Christianity practice magic. Hmm. Hmm. I found the smoking gun. I found, it. <laughs> I found the spells from the Bible. I found... Uh, that's great. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. Is that amazing? Yeah. You found, yeah. uh, that is amazing. I love the, the take on that too. I, I was thinking somebody said this years ago, it was in some training, hypnosis training I was in, but this guy said that he said, I think fundamentalism in any form is dangerous, you know, and it, I, I agree with that. It, it pits us against them in some way, whoever the them is. So it sounds like what you did though, is you went inside or another way to say it, like you said it, you know, you trusted more your experience than the doctrine you know, the imposed doctrine that this is the way to think and this is the way to believe, this is the way to interpret the Bible. You came up with a fresh take, you know, of what what is described in the Bible. And I think of my limited, you know, knowledge of that is like, yeah, there is there is a lot of magic in the Bible. That makes a lot of sense. Good for you. Good for you. The term witch often gets, um, is taken as sort of a you know, even back, you know, three, four, five hundred years ago, particularly, but even today, it's a little bit like, you know, when people hear it, I think they may back up a little bit, you know, because again, you know, what the training has been as to what that means. And you're really reframing it in an entirely different way, very creative way. Well, thank you for that. And it has been quite the journey of discovery because I had to remember that I was a witch. And then the more I studied about what is actual witchcraft and what do witches do? And what is this all about? Then I said, oh, wow, my mom and my grandmothers were witches too. They were doing all these things. I would pick up magic books and I would read things that we have been doing in my family. The women in my family have been doing these forever. And I thought to myself, well, maybe everybody's grandma is a witch because they're doing these very witchy things. You know, they're getting these herbs and they're healing people with them. They're saying prayers over you at night while you're asleep, which is sort of like a spell or an incantation. You know, they're putting things in the food and they give you the recipe. <clears throat> you make the exact recipe and it doesn't taste like what they did. Like, what did they do? What are they doing? So I just hmm. began finding a lot of magic. Magic's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And our Western, you know this as a shaman, you know this. I kind of see witches as a feminine counterpart to the shaman because we are, they call it hedge riders. We are negotiating different worlds all the time, like the spirit realm True. and this realm, sort of uh, portal keepers. 
And you find witches at these entry and exit points. You find witches at births, midwives, a lot of midwives, even if they weren't witches, were accused of being witches. They had specialized knowledge of the body, babies. Uh, they could hear things. They could con connect uh, with the intuitive voice that was coming through for the baby, how to position the baby. They knew essential oils, herbs, all those things to ease the birth. And then you find a lot of witches at deaths, death doulas, who are, uh, I just had the opportunity of doing that for my grandson last year. He was here for three weeks and three days, and it was quite the astonishing experience. And I have to tell you, I can say it with lightness because his soul visited me while he, his body was in the hospital. His mm -hmm. soul visited me and his soul, Dr. Stephen, when I tell you, his soul was so enormous. <laughs> I was in the bathroom in my son's house. I mean, I don't, spirits don't pick when they, you know, they don't pick good times. They just come. <laughs> spirits Can you about, wait, please, you know. until I'm done? Yeah. <laughs> But at least you know, I was standing at the wash basin. I think I was going to wash my face or something like that. And then, boom, I'm having this encounter. And when he told me who he was, I said to myself, because his name is Eros Divine. That's his name. His name is Eros Divine. And when, as soon as he told me who he was, the first thing I asked was, why did you come into this frail body? Because the body that was laying in the hospital, had tubes. It, it was, I don't know how that little guy did what he did in three weeks and three days. I saw him do more than I've done in my entire life. Wow. In three, you, you're, this is like an advanced soul that can do a whole lifetime in three weeks and three days <laughs> because of the intensity of his experience. I understand. And when I asked him, why did, why did you come into this frail body? He said, I have many lessons to teach. And Dr. Stephen, that's when I, I just let it go. I said, oh, oh, we're in something other than what I thought we were in. Oh, right. Okay. And that's when I could learn the lessons present. Right. I understand. Yeah. yeah. Well, a great story, too. Um, and also, you referred to or, you know, a little while back, you said that even uh, when you were very young, that you would um, like gaze at someone. They, not necessarily the people around you, thought you should be doing that, but you could get information about the person that way. Correct. Yes. So you've always had this this gift of being able to see beyond the ordinary, shall we say? Yes. Into might even say the extraordinary. Yes, even though I didn't always know what I was looking at as a kid, I didn't know, I, I couldn't, I didn't have a way to interpret the information. So it was just a pure stream of information and it was unfiltered because I didn't have anything yet to judge it by at three, four. It wasn't until yeah. my mother started with the Jehovah's Witnesses. When I was about three, four, and that's when she started to just clamp down on just everything. So by the time I was eight, it started to fade. I, I have heard uh, similar stories in a few from a few other people too. You know, having that gift, but then the societal and familial pressures to uh, 
let that go. Don't, you know, you can't do that here. That sort of thing. You know, that's not, it's against the rules, you know, and it just shuts you down until there's opportunity that comes your way to reawaken that. Or I like what you said earlier, remember it. I always, I'm intrigued by words like you're a wordsmith too. You know, <laughs> if I think of the word remember versus dismember, dismember pulls mm. apart, remember brings together. Again, it's just wordplay. But that, that deep memory, like, oh, yeah, there are other realms, shall we say, that are right here, right now. We just have to relearn or learn how to do so. Like, I I, uh, I went through, not to go into my whole story, but just, I, I, I think it was a period of suffering that I went through that really was the kind of the slap across the head. And so there's more to this than that. That's what really started, you know, the spiritual slash shamanic journey. And uh, so grateful for it. I'm absolutely grateful. And I get to talk with uh, these wonderful people like yourself that have somewhere along the way had a spiritual awakening. Now, you, you work with mainly women. Is that accurate? Is that correct? It's usually about 75 to 80% women in all of our experiences. So women are definitely sure. gravitating to this. We have some men too there with us at the Christian Witches Convention this year, which we hold actually hold a convention every year. This I year, love it. At the Christian Witches Convention, we had a couple of men. So it was really fun. Yeah, that's true. It's usually 80, 20, no matter, you know, whether it's a male or female teacher. So the, um, the other uh, question that I have for you is about where you go from here. What do you see yourself doing? What's your vision for the next uh, couple of years as far as your work and your intention? Writing, I bet. <laughs> Definitely writing. More books are coming. And also three things. Very, uh, uh, very much deepening into research so that uh, I can teach about the origins of the Bible and about its connection to Egypt, to Samaria, to Gobekli Tepe in uh, Turkey, and to the sacred sites around the world. I'm intrigued by sacred sites. I've gone to Teotihuacan, which is an ancient site in Mexico City. Incredible. I've been to Chichen Itza and Uchmaos because I'm in Mexico right now. I get to explore these ancient cities and they are just beyond anything that we could fathom. And they used spiritual energies and many of them used crystals and they absolutely were completely aligned with the stars and the planets. Mm. So that's one. And so I do a lot of global travel for that. And second is a lot of speaking because I speak and I write. And so um, I would speak on stage a lot before, you know, in 2004, 2000, 2005 was when I did my first speaking public workshop for this, April of 2005. And that was to a room of about 75, 80 people. So all of my speaking was in person. I was always on stages. And it's in a one speaking awards and things like that. It used to be a National Speakers Association, Toastmasters. And I used to speak to a lot of places. And people would invite me to speak up to a lot of places. So definitely speaking is a big part of what I do so that we can reach more people. And we can reach people in person. 
And thirdly, spiritual center. You know, I can see a Christian which is spiritual center. I can see Christian which is stores where people buy products for people who love I Christ. Love consciousness yeah. and who want to burn candles or like that, you know, uh, have a wand, you know, as a Christian, have a magic wand or have Love any it. of the implements, crystals in a way that Christians, that that's especially feeds those who are sort of connected to the Christ consciousness. I love it. I love it. You do have a vision that, yes, you're being called to do all this. I, again, I'm still very intrigued by Christian witches at the juxtaposition. I didn't realize it was that extensive that you actually have an annual retreat. Is yes. that correct? Yes, we do. How many people? At, how many people attend that in general? At this last one, we had about I would say maybe thirty or so people. The very first one, it was about nineteen, between thirty and forty people. This this time next year, it will be Memorial Day weekend. In twenty twenty three, it will be Memorial Day weekend in Las Vegas, Nevada. So it'll probably be probably a couple of hundred people. Uh, because we're doing it very much uh, a lot earlier. And because it's been around now for a couple of years, the very first Christian witches convention ever was in Salem, Massachusetts on Perfect. Easter weekend. Yes. Resurrection oh, Sunday. Perfect. First ever public Christian witches service, inspirational service. Um, oh, I love it. For people that are magical. Like people in a magical probably would like to go to a spiritual center too. You know, witches would like a spiritual center too that is sort of inspirational. Now, of course, we have spiritual centers, we have temples, we have covens, we have places where we worship. Nature is usually our church. Um, and it's nice to go to a spiritual center. Maybe it's nice to have a choir because wow. you like music, right? Oh, music. Music reaches places that can't be reached in other ways. You know, I'm convinced of that. A couple of shows, it's not important what they are, but a couple of shows recently emphasized that somebody couldn't understand something. And then, that, so instead they sang to her mm. and she just like, you know, brightened up. So I think I'm sure you're going to be able to put together a choir. I think that's wonderful. And we do have singers that have sung at the, uh, at the events and uh, we had 2019 was the first one ever historic. We even had a couple of protesters, which was really uh, fun, you know? Bring because, them on, yeah. Hey, come on, it's a party. Everybody's welcome. You know, not, everybody's, <laughs> <laughs> not everybody sees things alike, nor should we. And so yeah. uh, 2020, of course, in 2021, we were in our global meditation. And then we picked up again in 2022 and we'll be together in, in 2022. Memorial Day weekend, we were in New Orleans, which was amazing. Another really magical place. And yeah. uh, next year we'll be in Vegas so we can have more room and more uh, spaces for doing what we're going to be doing. Uh, after the conference, too, you get to go gamble. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? After doing Why not? magic, a little gambling magic, yeah. I guess. Huh? Yeah, a little gambling magic. I, I sh I'll share this short a short experience about that, um, and then we'll we'll close. But um, my brother died some years ago, and he was a gambler. Uh, he lost money, and he won money, and he used to have a casino, actually, uh, in Vietnam. That's a whole other story. Wow. But um, I was playing blackjack, and I thought, you know, I'm going to ask Wally. That's his name. Help me out here. And I swear, he was, like, sitting right next to me. You know, he said, no, don't hit. Yeah, hit now. 
And uh, I walked away. I did. I wasn't trying to win, you know, thousands and thousands. I play for fun, you know, not to pay the yeah. bills. You know, that's right. crazy to try to do that. So it was uh, it was an interesting experience. I just offer that because you said Vegas and the magic that can take place and do a little bit of uh, uh, sp- uh, spiritual work, you know, uh, calling on a spirit guide, my brother, uh, really helped out. I don't think I've done it since, but I did it more as an experiment. Anyway, um, my God, Valerie, uh, mm-hmm. thank you. I just want to say that about not only our conversation, and I trust that this will go on and other people will hear it too. How can they reach you or get in touch with you? For all things Valerie Love, ValerieLove.com. That's where all the books are. Look, a good amount of the books, not all the books are on the website, but you can find uh, all the books at my Amazon link. So that's on the yeah. website under okay. books. And then for all things Christian Witches, ChristianWitches.com. ChristianWitches.com. Okay. And that's your site as well, or that's what yes. you manage? Mm-hmm. Wow, cool. Valerie, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Oh, thank and you, I appreciate it for the I do. Thank you. Yeah, over, you're very welcome. And uh, I wish you all the best. And I I really love your work. And again, like I said some time ago, the, the reframing of that, you know, and now moving into researching that, you know, as well as, again, the invitation for more and more people who are interested uh, in uh, learning more about Christian witches and magic. So thank you very much. I appreciate oh, it. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> you too. God bless. Take care. Thanks for joining me. And I hope you join me for future episodes where I'll share some powerful healing practices and meditations introduce you to some amazing guests and friends of mine who will stop by for some conversation and on occasion I'll pull some oracle cards from one of my decks and do readings. I'll also share some of my original music that I'm sure you'll enjoy. If you like what I'm doing, please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to my show page on mindbodyspirit.fm where you can also get the free mobile app to listen to any of my shows or find some new favorites. If you'd like to contact me with questions, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram or send an email to info at drstephenfarmer.com. You can also find lots of material on that website, drstephenfarmer.com, so please feel free to explore. Please also know that by sending a question, you're giving me permission to possibly use it in a future podcast so others may benefit from it. And to close, I'd leave you with the four most important words to take with you. Gratitude, love, compassion, and forgiveness. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of A Guided Life Podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. 
On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.